So we began a series several weeks ago entitled Becoming Who You Are. We're making our way through a New Testament letter called Ephesians. And here's how this letter begins. The Apostle Paul writing to people that he cares about, people that he knows, people who are going through a difficult time. And he begins with just some reality, some truth about God and us and a relationship with God. Who are you in a relationship with God? And how did we even get there? And he talks about we were dead, spiritually speaking. What can a dead person do? Nothing. But then God came in his grace and his power and made us alive. And now we have that relationship with God. It is his doing from beginning to end. And now as we move into the second half of that letter, Paul is going to turn the corner from things that are true and he's going to answer this question. So what? What does that mean? How do we apply this? How does this become reality? What are the implications of all the things that are true in a relationship together with God by his grace and by his power? And so if you're looking for application, Paul is now turning that corner and he's going to help us understand what that looks like. Well, I want to begin today with something that we're going to see near the end of the passage that we're looking at, but it really is the overriding theme of what Paul is now going to say. So he's now turning that corner. Here's what it means, and Paul's going to tell them, grow up. It's time to grow up. And there are a lot of ways that we can mean that. He means that in a good way, but I hope we also understand that he means it in a challenging way. Healthy things grow. And I think, you know, that's just a principle that we understand, you know, in a lot of respects. How many people here have a green thumb? You know, your yard looks amazing and your vegetables, you're going to be handing out zucchini like they're going out of season here anytime. Um, if you heard the one, you know, who, how can you identify the guy in the uh, supermarket who doesn't have any friends? He's buying zucchini, right? Because that's what friends do. How many people would say you have a brown thumb? You can kill about anything, you know, that's living and growing in the ground and yeah, um, healthy things grow. Now, even, you know, think about a baby coming into this world. It's awesome, it's exciting, and this new life, but healthy things grow, including healthy babies. I remember years ago, back on the East Coast, there was a nurse who worked in the NICU, um, the intensive care unit for, you know, um, babies, and she said this to me one day, and it just stuck with me, that if there's a problem with a baby... One of the things that you'll see on a chart are three letters, F-T-T, failure to thrive. And when that is on there, something is not right and something is not healthy because healthy things grow and that includes faith, a healthy faith grows and Paul is going to create an argument and push people in that direction to help them understand. So what does that mean spiritually? What does it look like in this context for us to move forward in our faith and to grow spiritually? So let's unpack that together here. There's a couple things that Paul's going to help us understand that spiritual growth includes. Here's the first one. It is joining God's purposes beyond only me. I don't know how your spiritual journey began, you know, but there's a point in time in my spiritual journey where it was about me and Jesus, right? I came to realize Jesus loves me. Jesus came to this world for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus forgave me. All of that is true and all of that is awesome. But Paul's going to help us understand 
That's a great start, but then there's something beyond that. And it is not just, you know, something that is good for us to enlarge the circle. There's something on a grand scale that God is doing. And in a relationship with him, you have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in this world to redeem and to restore. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 for most of today, but I want to back up first because he already alluded to something that is now fleshed out in what we're going to see today. This is back in chapter 1. That when Jesus came, there was this plan to unite all things in him. Him is Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. Do you see some cosmic language there? Right? Heaven and earth. And we think of the word unite. And often in our experience, we think, well, it's good to be on the same page, you know, as a team. It's good, you know, to get together, you know, and kind of have the same game plan and all of that. The word that, the, that is used for unite is a cosmic word. That everything in heaven and on earth now is being put back together. And Jesus is making this claim that um, or Paul is making this claim that in Jesus, there's something happening that most people probably, when they read this, they would go, Paul, you're a crazy man. Because he's saying, that carpenter, that itinerant teacher named Jesus, the one who was nailed to a cross and died like a criminal, he's the one who's putting it all back together. All the brokenness and all the fractured parts of this world, he is putting it back together. Everything in heaven and on earth. Yeah, right, Paul. How in the world is he going to do that? But there's something here that is a part of God's entire story. You go back to the beginning of time as we know it, back to creation. And what did God create? There are all these diverse domains of God's creation but they are in harmony and they are one. The heavens and the earth, they're not the same, but they work in harmony. The land and the sea, and they're different, but they work together. The day and the night, not the same, but they're in harmony. And at the height of everything that God created, he created man and woman, and they're not the same. And even at one point, presiding over the first marriage, he says, and for this reason, the two shall become one flesh. And everything was in harmony. And life was great and life was perfect. And everything happened the way that it was supposed to. And every song had chords that were in harmony. And every plot line ended right. I mean, for heaven's sake, even cats were tolerable back then. And they weren't stalking you while you were sleeping at night. And Raiders fans were normal back in those days. I know, it's crazy. But it was perfect. But then something happened. And the picture of that, if I can show you that by way of video here, what God made to be one and to be in harmony, it was different, but it was together. Now all of a sudden gets shattered into a million pieces. And the man and a woman who we're in perfect harmony on the other side of that, stepping outside of God's boundary, believing one day, you know what? God told us not to eat of that tree, but we know better. And he's keeping something from us. And so the only part of God's creation that could defy him, humanity, did just that. And the implications of that have been what we've experienced ever since. Right on the other side of that, the man and the woman now are afraid. 
They're pointing the finger at each other. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's the devil's fault. And all of a sudden, there's disharmony. They have a couple of children, a couple of boys, Cain and Abel. One brother kills the other. Right on the other side of this. Well, there used to be harmony. Yeah, not anymore. A couple generations later, there's a guy named Lamech. And Lamech writes this song, this poem, basically, where he says, I'm awesome, and my vengeance, my wrath is greater than God's. And then he gets a couple of wives, and some mistreatment begins. And then you have war, and you have hatred, and you have racism, you have misogyny, and you have division, and you have discord. And the songs are not all in harmony anymore. And some of the plot lines have massive holes that are pretty dark and scary. And here's what Paul is saying to these folks in this church in a city called Ephesus. But that guy, that one, that Jesus, he is putting all these pieces back together again. And what he's doing is on a cosmic scale. And guess what? What it means to belong to him is that there is a place for you to participate in that. Well, Paul, how's he going to do that? I'll give you the short answer. He's going to create a new kind of community. It's called the church. And in it, there's going to be a lot of differences and a lot of diversity. But there's also going to be taking some of the pieces and putting them back together. For those people, it meant that there were some Roman citizens and some slaves, some Jews and some Gentiles, some rich and some poor, some men and some women. And yeah, those are all the opportunities in this world to experience more of the brokenness and fractured parts of our world but what God is going to do in his new kind of community, he's going to put the pieces back together. And that's been his plan. Well, how are you going to do that, Paul? Check out what he says as we begin Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Another way to say that is respond accordingly to what God has done for you. The spiritual life that he brought by his grace and his power. Respond accordingly. All the things that are true of you in a relationship with him. Respond accordingly with all humility and gentleness. Do you think that those are attributes that we might need to use in a context of me and you? As opposed to just me all by myself? With patience, bearing with one another in love. And so my spiritual journey that began with me and Jesus, Paul's saying, that's great. There's also an aspect in which your journey with God is me and you and one another. And there's some attributes that are going to help to fuel that. And while there are so many opportunities for there to be brokenness, even in a context like this, you know how the pieces come together is when we do this, that each of us walks with humility and gentleness and we're patient and we bear with one another. It almost assumes, yeah, there's going to be issues. But let's put the pieces together. And see if you can see a theme in this next, you know, couple verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And do you see the cosmic language once again? And that's 
what this is. And it's a picture of what God has been doing for so long and that here in this place, there would be diversity. We're not all the same, but that we would be one. And when we are one, there is a sense in which it is carrying out this grand plan that God has had ever since things fractured of putting the pieces back together. And so this, you know, idea to unite all things How does that happen on a level like where we are? How does that happen practically? We're bearing with each other. We are eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace and to strive for one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all and in all. That's us. And that's our opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. Here's what this means in the bigger picture. Following Jesus includes me, but it is bigger than me. And so in your journey, is it still at the me and Jesus stage? That's great. And that's the beginning. That's where it starts. But is it time to take a step beyond that and enlarge that circle and recognize it's not just me and Jesus, it's me and you. And we are in this together. And there's something that God is doing through us that is putting the pieces back in place, putting things back together. So that's one step of growth. Here's another one. It is serving others with my gifts. If you put your trust in Jesus, did you know that you were gifted? And you go, well, what does that mean? Check out what Paul says in this next section here. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So already, Jesus has given a gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And that's the word there is mankind. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. We're clear on that, right? No, I'm just kidding. That's actually a difficult section to interpret. What does that mean? Here's what it means. When Jesus died and rose again from the dead and then he ascended into heaven, this is telling us that all the people in what we would call the Old Testament who died in faith, putting their hope and trust in God, he took them all with him. And when he did that, he gave gifts to this new kind of community that he was beginning. It's called the church. And so people who put their faith and trust in Jesus have been given gifts. And now he's going to talk about some leadership gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So these are leadership positions in the church. What are they supposed to do? And we might think, well, in this context, the leaders do the stuff. Here it tells us leaders equip the people. For what purpose? For the work of ministry. For the building up of the body. So the people who get involved are actually helping to build up the body, helping it to mature, helping it to move forward. And it's not listed here. There's a couple other places in the Bible, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12. There are these lists of different spiritual gifts. Did you know that if you put your trust in Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift? What's a spiritual gift? A God-given ability to serve other people that helps them in their journey with Jesus. That's what it is. And there's a whole diversity of what those gifts look like. They're not all the same, but they all matter. They're all important. And here's what this means, is that following Jesus is a team sport. I don't know if you like golf or not. 
You know, it's kind of an individual sport. You know what I call golf when it's on TV? I call it a prelude to a nap because it's really boring. And there's a bunch of, you know, guys and they're playing, you know, for themselves and that's fine. Team sports are different. In team sports, we need one another. And there are defenders and there are people on offense and we had a, got to have the same game plan and be on the same page. And following Jesus is not a solo sport. It is a team sport. And your gift is your opportunity to play your position on the team. So let's talk about some principles with spiritual gifts. Every follower of Jesus has at least one spiritual gift. That when we put our faith in Jesus, it tells us that we get the gift of eternal life. That is God saying, you know what? You belong to me and you're safe and secure in that. But he also gives spiritual gifts. The ability, the God-given ability to serve others and help them on their journey. Every spiritual gift exists to be used in serving others. Every gift, by its very definition, isn't about the person who has it. So if somebody has a gift of teaching, they're not teaching themselves, right? They're teaching other people. And so that gift is there for others. They're gifts like mercy, not as high profile, but it's the God-given ability to come alongside people who are hurting and to just empathize with them, maybe put an arm around them and help them through a difficult time. They're gifts of all kinds and varieties. And they are not given to the person who holds them. They are given so that we can serve one another. And again, we get this implication. It isn't just about me and Jesus, that it's also about me and you. And we need each other because I don't have your gifts and you don't have my gifts. And so we need each other. One more principle about spiritual gifts. Every spiritual gift is equally important. And in a culture like ours, where we often value position and prominence, we can maybe not get this one right because we may think, well, the ones that are on the platform or the ones that are talking in the microphone are really important and the other ones are sort of lesser gifts. Not true. Not from God's perspective. Every gift is equally important. They're not all as evident. Can I give you one example of some gifts that you probably will never see on this platform? But man, is it important. Let me show you a group of people. This is part of our kitchen crew. A bunch of ladies and a retired Vietnam veteran um, there. And they do some incredible things. Let me just tell you a couple of things they do. Every Tuesday night, we have a program here called Celebrate Recovery. And right now we got 70 some people who show up for that. We also have um, recovery for teens called The Landing, and then we also have Celebration Place, which is for you know, younger kids, first grade through fifth grade, and they prepare a meal for everybody every week. And the smiles that you see here are not put on because I was holding the camera to their face. That's what happens there all the time. And there's laughter coming from the kitchen. And then they take the leftovers if there are some. If there aren't, they make another meal. They take that on Thursdays down to God's garage where people volunteer as mechanics to fix up donated vehicles. And then we give them away to single moms. And they take care of that. And every time there's a funeral, like there was yesterday, they prepare a meal for all the people who come to the funeral, and yesterday they fed, I don't know, 150, 200 people. That gift, and I think that's a gift called helps in the Bible, is meeting needs in practical ways, is just as important as any other gift. 
You may not always see it under lights, but it, God's economy, it is just as important as any other gift. Did you know that you were gifted? And if you've never joined the team in serving other people, that could well be a step of growth in your journey together with God. So one more idea here for Paul about how our spiritual life grows. It means walking with others in community, that we are connected to each other. And man, is there some tight language here. There's a lot in here. We could spend a lot of time. We're going to boil this down. So he's saying, serve one another until we all attain the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. There's a linguistic thing going on here. When he's talking about immaturity, he's going to use the plural. And here, this phrase, to mature manhood, could actually be translated to become the mature man. It's singular. So immaturity, plural, Maybe me and Jesus, others and me and Jesus. What is maturity? That we're together. The mature man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we, notice this again, may no longer be children. And think about this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He wrote like half of the New Testament and he's including himself in the context of somebody who spiritually speaking is a child. So if the Apostle Paul sees himself as a toddler, I don't know about you, I'm viewing myself as about three hours old. You know what I'm saying? And he's saying, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And what Paul is doing here is giving us some indications. How would I know that I'm a spiritual baby who's got some growing to do? How would I know that? Well, in the one sense, Paul's included himself in that picture, so hopefully we're all still growing. But how do we know this? He gives us some, some indicators here. Tossed to and fro by the waves. They're not steady, spiritually speaking. And maybe we just latch on to the latest, greatest thing that's come down the pike, and you think about some of the kids, ooh, a shiny new object, but it's not exciting for very long. And oh, now there's something over here. And spiritually speaking, if we're just kind of going back and forth to the next newest, brightest, shiniest thing that's come down the pike, you're a spiritual baby. If we ever get a sense of conviction about where God is taking us and something that we should do and we do not follow through, we're a spiritual baby. If we're looking for what have you done for me lately, God, we're a spiritual baby. There's a story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out 70 disciples. He sends them out two by two. And he tells them what to do and they're casting out demons in his name and it's happening. And they come back and they're celebrating. They're kind of high-fiving each other and they say to Jesus, you know, giving their glowing reports saying, even the demons are subject, you know, to us. And Jesus, oddly, it seems like in that moment, pushes back and he says, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And so he's challenging them to say, you know, don't always look to the spectacular to be the thing that gives you a source of confidence and hope, or ongoing source of confidence and hope, spiritually speaking, is being in a relationship with the God who loves us and has redeemed us.
That's where our confidence is found. But this is also talking about maybe the spiritual roller coaster that we ride. Right? I'm in. I'm committed. Oh, I'm out. Oh, I'm back in again. Oh, I'm out. Your spiritual baby. And Paul here is saying, you know what? In one sense, we all got some growing to do, including Paul and you and me. But there are also some indicators of maybe where that growth needs to happen. And then he goes on. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love. So here's the practical part of this. And again, this implies that we are in this together. Would I, you know, just speak the truth in love to myself? I think there's often a great disconnect between my self-perception and reality. And one of the things this tells me is that I need some people who are very truthful but also very loving in my life to give me input to help me understand more of reality, and so do you. You know, one low-level example of this, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Back in the day, messages used to be on tape. And one time there was somebody back on the East Coast who wanted to play a section because I had a question about something in that message. And as they began to play the tape, I was like, ugh, was I sick that day? Because I sound weird. Like, did I have a cold or something like that? I'm like, is there something wrong with the tape? I sounded more like Mickey Mouse than James Earl Jones. You know, it's like, okay, everybody repent. And then, and then you know, they said, no, you always sound like that. I'm like, oh, well, great. Right? I hear myself through the bones in my neck, and so do you. But there can often be a difference between what I perceive and what is reality. And Paul is saying, yeah. And that's why we need people like that in our lives. Where it's true, but it's in love. Jesus was described as somebody full of grace and truth. And we're invited to do that for each other. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And I want to pause there because there's something in that phrase that is so electric that I fear we often undersell this and we might believe this. What does it mean? to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And we might answer this way. Well, it's helping to make me a nicer person. That's awesome. This is way more than that. Well, it's given me some values, you know, to hold on to that are really helpful. That's awesome. Do you know what he's saying here, what it means to belong to God? is that we are joined, he is the head, but we are the body, and this is what it means. The head and the body, our head and body, experiences the same life. What it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is you have the life of the triune God within you. And all that other stuff comes along with it. But do not sell short what it means to be in a relationship with God, because you are now joined to him. And we have the opportunity to experience the same life and all that he has along with it. And then he wraps it up this way. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But there's a whole lot of us together in community that allow growth to take place because 
there are some things that happen in community that do not happen all by ourselves. So what are we saying? What is Paul telling us? Healthy faith grows. And where it begins with me and Jesus, that's awesome. That's great. And then we all got some growing to do. And when there are babies around, you know, like babies, spiritually speaking, that is great news, right? We celebrate when babies come into this world, and rightly so. And then we want to see them grow to maturity. And spiritually speaking, it is the same. And with Paul's words, I hope it does one of two things, that it helps us to understand I have some growing to do. I do. In this side of heaven, there's growth and steps for me to take. I hope it also helps us understand that this kind of attitude, and I've heard it a few times over the years ago, something like this, man, there's sure a lot of spiritual babies around here. Not all grown up like me. And when are they going to grow up? Can we get over that? Because perhaps we may not have the same steps to take as somebody else, but we still need to grow. And so let's celebrate new life and what God is doing to begin that journey with people. And let's humbly walk together with God because we still got some growing to do. So if we're trying to understand, you know, where might my faith need to take a step of growth? Let me ask a couple questions along the lines of what we talked about here today. Is my faith bigger than only me? Has it also grown to the point where I recognize it's about me and you? And that God is doing something through a body. And yeah, Jesus loves me and Jesus rescued me. There's also me and you. Second question, am I serving others? Have you gotten involved? Many of you serve. And I'm guessing that you would know this and could probably explain this better than I could, that you do something and all of a sudden through that gift that God has given you, God shows up and something positive happens and you go, man, I could never do that. That's not me, that's God. And in that moment, you know what happens to somebody's faith? It grows. It grows. All of our growth is not with our knowledge and our intellect. Some of it is seeing God show up that builds our confidence and our strength and our understanding of who God is. Have you joined the team? Because you are gifted if you placed your trust in Christ. Am I walking with others in community? Around here, the primary way that we seek to carry that out is something called small groups. And what is impactful in small groups is not sitting in a circle. It's community. It's relationships. Just recently was part of a group of men. And, you know, men can be a little bit more reluctant to kind of put down the guard and maybe talk about things that are important. So I thought maybe by Christmas time, you know, people would be talking about some really important things in their lives. But I got to tell you, it was right from the get-go. And people are sharing about very personal and difficult issues. And I'm like, wow. I texted somebody this last week and said, man, I'm just glad you're a part of that group. He had been particularly vulnerable that week. And you know, he texted back, that group is exactly what I needed in my journey. 
There's something that happens in the context of community that does not happen anywhere else. Can I tell you something that we need right now? Is small group leaders. And leadership oftentimes frightens people away. But I'll tell you this, you will not be on your own and we're here to help you and you can do it and we will help. And maybe if it's time to step up in a particular area, I might recommend that one to you. We have more people who want to be in groups and community than we have groups to be able to provide. And so maybe you can facilitate, can lead, can bring some people together and we'll help you. If you're interested in finding out more about that, you can exit through these doors after the service and there's a table there that talks about small groups or the information table, ask for Angie. She's over the whole thing of small groups and we'll walk you through that. But maybe that is your opportunity to take a step of growth. Healthy things grow. Healthy faith grows. And there's something for every one of us to do to take a step forward in our faith. Would you pray together with me? So God, thank you for who you are, that you are the God who made all things good and all things in harmony. You made all things one, and then it got shattered. And you did not walk away. You went to work to put it back together again. And here we are, God, in this place and at this time. Help us to understand what that means for people like us. And God, in one sense, I don't understand why you have involved people like me, people like us. And yet, that's what we're invited into. And so God, for each and every one of us, would you help us to take a step of growth in our faith and give us the ability to see the ways in which we can help put those pieces back together in this new kind of community, a body that you are building. God, help us to see what you see. And we ask you to lead us in that direction for your name's sake. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.